ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Horses live in the moment. So that, that mindfulness kind of presence is what they can bring to leadership and also that emotional control and regulation. That immediately put me into a vulnerable space. I think that all of us, to some degree, uh, we're, we're a mask. With a horse, that mask was removed really quite quickly. She was able to see through that. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, they've let me out of the studio and into the wild. I wanted to test something out, something that's been growing in popularity in the last decade or so. It marks something of a shift in this ideal of leaders Yet it's not without its critics. Saying that perhaps this is just a novel management fad or fashion. Have you guessed what it is yet? It's called horse-assisted leadership training. And I've been reading a lot about it and how it can develop our emotional intelligence and communication skills. And it turns out the connection between horses and leadership isn't so new. There's an interesting cultural and linguistic link between, you know, horses and and management. But more on that later. So, brimming with curiosity, I went out to try it for myself. We're going bush. Bracing the bitter cold and the rain, producer Rachel and I jumped in the car with Morvan, our magnificent driver, and drove about two hours north of Melbourne to King Lake. Can I just say that Rachel um, is completely dressed for the ski, <laughs> for skiing, and is wearing about 20 layers. So she's basically sweating at the back of the <laughs> car at the moment. I am, I am overheating, but <laughs> I'm also cautious. The wind chill factor is negative three. What made you want to do an equine course to learn more about leadership and teams and how we relate to each other? I think we just spend so much time in our heads and we try and think our way through being a better leader. And I'm always interested in learning about different perspectives and so therefore I'm fascinated in what, a, what perspectives a horse might have on us because you never know what you might unearth when you do something different and take yourself out of your comfort zone. So that's exactly what we're doing. I am not someone who is a particular horse lover or has done a lot of riding in the past. It's around lunchtime and we've just arrived at Karen Austin-Reed's property where she's been running equine leadership courses for the past six years. It's freezing and it's misty and sleeting outside. But here in the training room, it's nice and cosy. Before we head out to meet the horses, Karen briefs us on some basic horse safety and communication. They don't go into um, flea mode or, or flight mode until they kind of, oh, there's something over there, let's check it out. And the lead, they'll defer usually to the lead horse and then the that's all right and everyone will go down again. So they can, they can regulate their emotion in, in a blink of an eye, whereas humans, once we go up, it's really hard to come down and it carries over into everything. And also horses live in the moment. So that, that mindfulness kind of presence is what they can bring to leadership and also that emotional control and regulation. They want clarity. They want you to be... Um, focused on what you're communicating as soon as your mind drifts 
they'll go, oh, they're not on track or they want you to be a good leader. So to be clear about the vision, to know how to communicate the vision to them well. And the main thing is they want to feel safe with you. So if you are clear, if you are direct with your vision, then they'll be like, fine. All right, let's do this. Time to head out to meet some of the horses. So we're in a place called the arena, but the arena is actually sitting with this incredible outlook where we can see the tops of the trees. It's fine mist around us. There's fog. And behind us is the homestead, uh, the warming place where we got a little bit of pumpkin soup before coming out here. But it is absolutely dreamy and kind of magical at the moment, like being on a magical mountain. (laughs) So we're in a small group of three and we have to guide the horses through a small obstacle course. And turns out leading a 600 kilogram animal is pretty hard. So you're you're leading. Oh, I'm leading. Uh, actually, I don't know what this one is. All right, I'm going to read the instructions. Yes. Are you ready for the instructions again? Yes. All right. This I found pretty tricky, understanding the instructions while trying to be in control of a horse and where it's going. Uh, so it's about listening to your team, weaving through the alleyway, zigzag through the obstacles, turn around at the end, come back to the beginning. When you get to the end stop and back your horse up three steps hmm sounds easy right yep keep going he's just testing you (laughs) there we go good good freddy oh so good and left oh nice we were with the horses for just over half an hour and i felt like i learned a lot in that time more on this and what happens after our time with the horses later but first I had to ask Karen what motivated her to create this program. So it was by sheer accident. So our property was destroyed in the 2009 bushfires and I only had I had a, a pony that was seriously burnt but survived and my horse Duke. And during the course of recovery, he actually became quite dangerous. So he would just run through people and do different things like that. And then a program came to King Lake and it was equine assisted therapy. And I thought it was therapy for my horse. So, um, so I thought, oh, fantastic, I can get my horse fixed. So I'm watching Duke kind of just in, in the arena just going absolutely crazy because it was freaking out. And it, there was a dominoes effect. So the more he would run around, the more anxious I would get. And then it was so escalate. Anyway, after about 15 minutes, they said, um, you can go in there now, Karen. So I went in and they said, and he was still running around, and they said to me, Karen, just breathe. And I said, I am breathing through <laughs> gritted teeth. And they said, just take a nice deep breath in and just exhale and let all the air out again. And it's like, and then notice your, your jaw. And I felt then it was really, really tense because I was getting anxious because he was getting anxious. And he said, you just need to just breathe and relax. The horse is perfectly safe. You're perfectly safe. As soon as I took a few more long, deep breaths and started lowering my heart rate, Duke just went to a walk and kind of turned into me and came straight up to me and said, it's about bloody time. And then very quick realisation that he was literally um, responding to my anxiety and to my PTSD that was happening that I was completely unaware of. And then I saw the, the value of that emotional intelligence piece and I thought, oh, my God, you know, leaders, being a leader myself, 
I thought people really need to manage their emotions and yet be authentic because I knew horses had fantastic BS radars. And then I spent the next two years looking at all the different forms of EAL because I didn't want to become a therapist. And because I don't think it, it's, it's simply about identifying things within yourself and developing that expanded awareness that once you know they're there, then you can do something about it. My name's Jamie McIver. I'm the general manager of an organisation called Addiction. We really focus on leadership development and cultural development using what we call, call smart action. So that's about, I guess, addressing the knowing doing gap which is where the real growth happens. Uh, the horse whisperer, as we call him, his name's Andrew Froggett and his wife, Sam Froggett. They lead an organization in New Zealand. So he's an old friend of mine and we were talking one day about our respective work, looking at how we grow leadership and leaders through experimentation. So he said, hey, why don't you come along and try it out? And so what were you expecting? Probably not a lot, um, but I guess there was a rawness about the experience. Uh, you're on the ground, you're not on the horse, you're on the ground, not quite eye to eye, because obviously they're a lot bigger than you, they're 600 kilograms. You know, there was certainly a sense that there's something on the line, that you need to keep yourself safe, and that you're doing something that's, you know, not something you do every day. So that sort of sensation was somewhat of a surprise. I think the other thing that surprised me, um, maybe bringing it back to a leadership context, was how quickly you get the feedback from a horse. I think that what we see in organizations, I've worked in large multinationals for most of my career, and a lot of what we're trying to do usually as leaders is change something, make it better, change the shape of it, put things together, etc. And sometimes it can take months or even years to really understand the impact that you're having. Humans compared to horses can be quite passive, so a lot of the resistance you'll get will be passive resistance. And it will take quite some time to understand what are, what are the signals that I'm picking up here, what's going well, what's not, what do I need to do differently. With horses, it's completely different. With horses, you get immediate feedback. So if they don't like or don't buy into the line you're giving them, um, you get that back immediately through their resistance or you know through them challenging you uh, in many cases with what you're trying to do. The horses are really wonderful in a way learning how to lead differently, you could say, by because they help us to, to attune to the, um, the affective, the embodied and the nonverbal forms of communication. So I'm Astrid Huopalainen and I work as an assistant professor in the area of leadership for creativity at Aalto University in Finland. And apparently you've been a bit of an amateur or hobby horse rider for the last 25 years. What is it about horses that can help us develop skills like communication, Astrid? Yeah, the horses are really, really sort of um, wonderful in, in a way learning us how to lead differently, you could say, by because they help us to, to attune to the affective, the embodied and the nonverbal forms of communication that are really, really essential in how we communicate with them. So they really, I think, help us, you know, develop these alternative ways of perceiving others. They help us to attune to the aspects that we perhaps dominantly overlook or take for granted in the, in the human-centered workplaces or in the human-centered understandings of, of leadership as well. 
And these kind of training sessions, they often build on these exercises where humans try to connect with, with horses, not by, by riding them, but from the ground. So really trying to make contact with horses that you know, know from before. And in this way, you know, seeking to, yeah, attune to the perspective of the other, seeking to, to make the other sort of aware of your presence. And, and, and this is quite intriguing, you know. This is not always easy because, you know, the horses, they don't really always care about the verbal communication that much. It doesn't help that you, that you say something or shout at them or, or so forth, but they, they really sort of require a different kind of, of attunement through, through the body, through the senses and, and through the presence. So they effectively, you could say that they mirror people's communication skills and perhaps also you could talk about energy levels because they are sensitive to to our human body language and our presence and engagement with the surrounding world in a different way. So we can't really fake the sort of presence or our body language with the horses. And they sometimes really rightfully refuse to participate in our invitations to to communicate <laughs> with them. So that's that's also part of that dynamic really. And you wrote a fantastic um, piece of research, a 2022 paper, More Than Human Leadership, Studying Leadership in Horse-Human Relationships. And in that, you look at collaborating with a horse. And I love the fact that you received this piece of insight from an instructor. If you treat your horse as a tool, nothing will ever work. If you force the horse, you break your bond. The horse does nothing, nothing at all to consciously irritate the human. I found this very poignant and it really resonated with me. Do you want to go deeper on what the meaning of this is? Yes, absolutely. I think it really has to do with, again, finding that way of, you know, meeting the other so that you really sort of, you relate to the other so, so the, the challenges, of course, for us humans is that we create these leadership um, or leader-follower relationships with sentient animals who have their own agency and their own individuality, their own perspectives of the world. So we need to find respectful ways of creating, you know, or communicating with them so that they accept, you know, our invitation to, to communicate. And this offers us quite interesting opportunities of, of learning and reflection. So it's really, you know, these subtle and aesthetic means for communication that, that matter really hugely. So that requires from us that we, we sort of genuinely seek to, to listen to and relate to the horse and, and all of this nourishes these capabilities of, of relation building, interest and presence and attunement. And perhaps these are also quite important aspects of contemporary workplaces, even though we, we don't really perhaps always think about them as such. Why are horses so perceptive? Why is nonverbal form of communication so important? Well, historically, I mean, horses are these prey or flea animals, I would say in English, but they have been very sensitive to what happens in the environment and also to avoid, you know, the attacks of predators and so forth. 
they really needed to to listen into the environment traditionally when they you know thousands and thousands of years ago and and still you know they are sensitive to to what happens in their surroundings so they really constantly zoom in on on what what happens they have very good sight backwards and they they might hear you know all kinds of sounds that we as humans don't that easily pay attention to and their reaction is to to flee if they get scared so really it's it's probably that that sort of the history of, of the horse has made it so sensitive to these kinds of, of matters but of course you know horses today are domesticated and and humans have domesticated them and we've lived and shared, you know, a joint history with horses for for very, very long. Speaking of this long joint history between us and horses, even the word manager is connected to horses. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's an interesting cultural and linguistic link between, you know, horses and and management. It is the Italian word manageare that the word management derives from. And it really sort of literally translates to this art of training and handling horses. But we focus on on managing, you know, people and resources and, and finances and not so much horses, but but definitely, and also if we think symbolically, you know, there are lots of representations of, you know, leaders on their majestic horses that, that enhance the, the power of, you know, of the leader, the symbolic power of the leader in, in that way. And there are even studies that have shown links between, you know, stable cultures and, and women becoming leaders. So there are quite interesting work done in this area as well. I believe that in uh, leadership and in the workplace that our the energy that we have and our intentions, they ooze out of us whether or not we are verbalising them and therefore bringing awareness to our non-verbal presence I think is critical for leaders and their teams. What are your thoughts on this? So so it is something about when we connect again with, with the horses or when we connect with others at the workplace, we are in a way, we are invited to move beyond these pure human cognition and language. It's about somehow about settling into our bodies and this awareness of us being kind of whole embodied beings and not just uh, cognitive brains coming to work might perhaps sound a bit trivial, but it really sort of reminds us about this importance of listening to our own bodies and also seeking to respect other people's moods and feelings. And perhaps you could say that leading and inspiring others really demands this sincere interest of who the other is. So in a way, you know, if we listen closely, if we attune to the other, if we consider the perspective of the other, we might envisage more sustainable forms of leadership, also in human workplaces, perhaps more caring and more humane forms of leadership. So I'm, I'm asking if, you know, could we not consider learning to lead humans in, in the kind of caring and respectful way that we lead and follow horses if we emphasize this relationality and presence and listening because this kind of care and gentleness and, and respectful agenda that is found in the in the horse human relationship in in the best cases could perhaps also 
translate into human-centered workplaces and, and also the ways in which our everyday interactions at work could be done differently. So I do think that there's even more to be learned about these sensitive and attuned leadership practices for humans too, and what this could perhaps make for more ethical forms of leadership. So back at the ranch, how did I go? Well, reflection time. I noticed that when I set an intention for when to stop and I was clear about my intention, then the horses would definitely stop with me. But when I was confused, when I wanted to leave myself open to all possibilities, which is kind of my natural state, then the horses would just keep on walking (laughs) and they would be leading me off into the abyss. So that's something that I reflected on in terms of my own leadership. But I asked Karen how she thought I went leading the horses. Well, you said it yourself that you knew that there was some expertise in your team and so you you were seeking that out because a lot of leaders, for example, who had their own ego would never have done that. So that was really refreshing to see that you could be humble enough as a leader to ask because how many leaders go through going, I must find the answer myself and then it could have been solved very quickly if they had a sort the experience and expertise around them so I really appreciated that and how agile you were how open-minded you were with having those discussions and then thinking about something else and I really liked that you were just going with the flow so that was lovely to see and then the last bit was in the debrief when you said about the wording yeah so um you had given us instructions and they were written down and my lawyer brain was looking at the wording and there were some definitional what I saw as issues (laughs) and it just confused me so I couldn't move forward at all because I couldn't understand the instructions and so I turned it to the team to say I'm sure there's a practical way of interpreting this it's just my brain won't go to the practical side and so that was a uh, an invitation for them to help me understand those instructions. Yeah and I have had similar people say similar things in that particular session because they just got so kind of overwhelmed with trying to work it out. They they said I was almost non-functional. I had to step away and get, let someone else decipher that, which is great, but a lot of people would, wouldn't feel comfortable to do that. They would try and persevere, persevere. It's like um, we're not getting anywhere, we're, we're stuck, so what do we do? And the thing is just let it go for a day or an hour or 15 minutes or take a, take a breather and walk around the arena and come back in with a different perspective and then maybe hand it over to someone else in the team to answer or decipher as long as you're okay with their interpretations, that's fine. Are there people who come away learning nothing from this exercise, unfortunately? Um, At the time, I I felt they learnt nothing. They were um, a micromanager and the horse was giving them that feedback. Their entire team was giving them that feedback. I was giving him that feedback. And even in the debriefing, the the people were like literally black and white saying we don't want to be micromanaged we need some space we need to be left alone to do our thing and then hand it back to you what happens after the actual um, being in the arena is there any follow-up yes definitely for all the corporates I'll go in to have a meeting to see what their key objectives are so the, and how they're going to measure that because a lot of the things that we do with the horses and the skills that you develop are intangibles 
they're not, you know, increase of sales straight away. It's about coherence of teams. It's about communication and clarity. Or you can be measured in less mistakes or um, in other kind of surveys or things. We'll have like um, uh, a four L's of learning. So um, what did you love? What did you loathe? What did would you want long for? And what you would um, leave out. And then I ask them to make the prioritize those and then give me actions that they can implement. And then usually around about the four week mark or six week mark, I'll go back and say, okay, can these, well, make sure they're smart goals that they can be achievable. And then go back in and say, hey, what are you up to? Have you managed to reach the goals? What were the blockages? And then go in and do that kind of coaching or follow up, yeah. Thanks to my guests, to producers Rachel Bongiorno and Zoe Ferguson, and to sound engineer Kerry Dell. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. And if you're enjoying the show, please share us with a friend or a colleague. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, giddy up. <laughs>